My friend Stuart has been in Australia for a year. He, he's one of my uh, closest friends. He's not my best friend like James, but uh, <laughs> he, he's one of my closest friends. I've grown up with him. I've known him since I was 10 years old. Uh, he's a really great guy. Um, and uh, about a year ago, he said to us all, look, guys, uh, I'm going to go to Australia. I'm going to go to Australia for two years. I'm going to work there. I'm going to travel around. I'm going to kind of uh, see the world a bit. Uh, he left school at 16, went straight to work, hasn't really seen the world. He's like, I'm going to do it. And we're like, great, brilliant. You know, go away, two years, we'll miss you, but you're going to have a great time, it's going to be really cool. Now, uh, I'm uh, at home in Inverness, that's where my home is, that's where Stuart's from as well, and I was there last week, and uh, I'm just messaging Stuart, just completely by chance, just messaging Stuart, how's everything going, what's Australia like, all this kind of stuff, and, uh, and Stuart's going, yeah, yeah, it's really good, blah, 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 um, you're still in Edinburgh, aren't you? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll be there for uh, at least another year, it's going to be really cool. He goes, right, yeah, um, I've just got something to tell you, it's a surprise. Don't tell anybody else, it's a total surprise, it's a secret, I'm coming home. And I'm like, oh Flip, that's amazing. He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm coming home. But you can't tell anyone, so I won't tell anyone. I'm like, when are you coming home? Tomorrow. Oh, Stuart, I'm in Inverness. <laughs> he goes, right, okay, I didn't have to tell you. But uh, don't tell anybody else. Don't tell anybody else, it's a total surprise. I want it to really hit everyone. Uh, don't tell anyone. So I said, you know, I'm a trusted friend, Stuart, you know. Uh, I can keep secrets. I, um, I, uh, I won't tell anyone. Um, so, um, look, I made, I made a mistake, okay? We all make mistakes when this sort of thing happens, right? Somebody says, you know, um, uh, don't tell anybody, I've got a secret to tell you, blah, blah, blah. And it's your friend, and you're like, yeah, I won't tell anyone. And you, and, and you won't, and you don't, because, you know, you, you want to you wanna earn their trust and all that kind of stuff. But we've all been there, we've made the mistake. We thought, oh, it won't hurt anybody if I told my mum, right? <laughs> Like, like, it won't, like, mum doesn't hang out in the same circles as me, it's totally fine. So I'll just tell my mum, because I'm really buzzing about it, I want to get it off my chest. Um, I tell my mum, and oh, I love her, but, uh, you know, uh, she told everybody. <laughs> you know, and, and she actually shares an office. Well, doesn't even share an office, like, works for the same council that one of my other friends, Liam, works for. And Liam just happens to be Stuart's bestest friend. They've known each other since they were like two years old. And this is a guy you don't tell that his best mate's coming home a year early. You don't tell him that. Mum told him. Brilliant. So I'm livid because I'm getting texts from Liam going, Stuart's coming home, this is amazing, your mum told me. And I'm going, yeah, uh, you know, trying to cover it up. No, it's not that Stuart, it's another Stuart. Uh, maybe I covered it up, I don't know. But I'm fuming. When mum comes home from work, I'm giving her an earful. You better believe it. I'm saying, Mum, what are you doing? I can't believe you told her you ruined it. You told the one person you weren't supposed to tell. I can't believe the surprise is ruined. You name it, and you blabbed your mouth. What have you done, Mum? Mum's like, well, you didn't tell me it was a surprise, did you? And I'm like, yeah, but... Oh. Oh, I didn't tell you it was a surprise. Oh. And she goes, yeah, well, Josh, how am I supposed... I mean, don't come back and, uh, and shout at me and, and tell me off and whatnot. Like, how am I supposed to know it's a surprise if you don't tell me? How am I supposed to know the crux of that information you've just given me if you don't tell me? How am I supposed to understand if you don't explain it to me? That's the best story you're ever going to hear that leads us into this passage tonight. <laughs> and it actually happened. This was last week. You know, God's good. This is really good. <laughs> we, uh, we've got a story about, um, about a man who has a great relationship with God, and a man who relates the good news, and a man who rejoices as a result of it. 
And later on, we're going to, um, in our response time, we're going to look at what it means to be filled with the joy of the Lord and what it means to respond to that with rejoicing. But that's later on. I want to go straight into, uh, into Philip. Who's Philip? We heard about Simon last week. We got Philip this week. Um, they're both part of this thing called the Seven. That's who Philip is. He's also an evangelist. You know, Philip is the only person in the Bible to be named an evangelist. That's a really interesting fact. You know, the word evangelist only comes up three times in the Bible. It comes up in a, in a letter from Paul to Timothy where it says, Timothy, you're to do the works of an evangelist. It comes up in a letter from Paul to Ephesus where it says, you know, people are to be uh, pastors, preachers, apostles, teachers, and uh, evangelists. Yeah, remember them all, great. Um, and then it comes up later on in Acts when Philip is described as being an evangelist. So Philip's one of the seven and he's an evangelist. What does it mean to be one of the seven? Well, earlier on in uh, chapter 8 of Acts, um, we understand that uh, Christianity is blowing up. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is blowing up in Jerusalem and Samaria. Loads of people are coming to faith. Uh, there's a huge move of the Holy Spirit in, in ways of miracles and healings. I mean, it even says that when Philip preached, evil spirits rose out of people who were listening. I mean, I want to be that good at preaching, right? It was an amazing time. And, and uh, the, 12, uh, the 12 apostles had this kind of dilemma. They kind of were running the church in Jerusalem that was growing rapidly. And they needed to pick people who were faithful, who were going to kind of do the works of the church, who were going to kind of oversee the mission, basically. And, and they had this kind of immediate issue, in fact, of um, uh, chapter 8 talks about there were widows who didn't have people who could provide for them. So they came to the church and the church met that need and fed them. It's amazing. And they needed seven people. They decided they needed seven people who were going to uh, kind of oversee these works, kind of keep it running, keep the game going, keep it growing, keep it expanding. And um, they said the only criteria of being one of the seven is that the person needs to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. Simon was one of the seven. Philip's one of the seven. There's five others. We won't go into those now. But, uh, but yeah, Philip was one of the seven. Philip's also just been out in Samaria. So uh, just before the passage that we read tonight, he's, he's been a part of uh, uh, what is essentially like a revival happening in Samaria. He's preaching, people are listening, people are giving their lives to Jesus, they're getting baptised, they're getting healed, they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, he is living out the purpose of his life, right? I mean, if Philip is called an evangelist, which he is later on in the Bible, he is literally living that out. He's like living in the purpose he was made for. I mean, it's the dream. How many of us would love to be living out the purpose we were made for, to know it and to be living it? He's living it. And then the passage that we read from tonight, um, it picks up uh, with an angel of the Lord kind of interrupting this awesomeness. Uh, that's so awesome that even Peter and John, part of the twelve, have come down to check it out and to oversee it and to assist. An angel of the Lord speaks to Philip and says, I need you to leave. I need you to go from this place of hype and buzz and amazingness and I need you to go over to this desert road. This kind of 60 mile long road between Jerusalem and Gaza, desert road, really well worn, really hot. Uh, you're surrounded with people in this area, you're now surrounded by nobody in this area. I mean, we understand evangelists as being kind of like extroverted types, right? Like they love to be around people. He's just been around loads of people and now he's going to be alone. The angel of the Lord says, Go. And he goes along and. Uh, 
and goes out onto the road and hears a, he sees a chariot and he hears a, a, an Ethiopian eunuch in the chariot kind of reading out the passage of Isaiah as was the custom of the time you read out when you read and uh, you read aloud when you read and uh, Philip hears this and uh, he hears the spirit say go alongside the chariot so he goes alongside the chariot and um, there's this amazing moment where they kind of have a conversation and interchange and Philip starts talking about Jesus the Ethiopian's like I want in where's the nearest pot I love um, pot of water, let me get baptised, let me get involved in this. It's an amazing moment. Philip disappears off somewhere else to continue preaching the good news. It's an incredible story. You know, this is a story about a relationship, about relating the good news, and about rejoicing. It's about a relationship between a man and God. This isn't a story about this wonder guy called Philip who's just got these amazing powers and he just kind of clicks his fingers and people become Christians. It's not about that. It's about this man who had a relationship with God and as a result saw incredible things. So let's look, um, let's look at Philip's relationship with God. Well, I think the thing that jumps out here in this passage, the thing that really spoke to me is that um, Philip's relationship with God is marked by obedience. He's obedient to God. You know, um, when the angel of the Lord says, uh, um, Philip, go to this desert road, leave this place of amazing hype, incredible stuff happening, lots of fruit, and go to the desert road. You know, the angel of the Lord doesn't say why. And even better, Philip doesn't ask. Philip doesn't say, oh, why? Oh, okay, cool, sounds great. And why? He doesn't even say when. There's no indication in the passage that tells us there was any amount of time it doesn't say, oh, Philip went off to pack his bags and say goodbye to his mate, or like, pass on the leadership to somebody else. He went. Philip was obedient. God made the call. Philip answers. And even when he's out on the desert road, the Spirit says, um, go alongside the chariot. And so he does. And so you've got this chariot, you've got this kind of Ethiopian man, so this man who is like, um, uh, he's from a completely different culture, he's from a completely different land, he's black. Philip wouldn't be black, he'd be more kind of Middle Eastern. You've got a man who uh, we understand is, um, he's a eunuch, so he's a person of importance. We read in the passage that he's the treasurer for the Queen of Ethiopia. The Queen of Ethiopia is um, the person who would kind of oversee the business of the kingdom. This guy's the treasurer. This guy handles the cash. So he's famous. He's well-known. People know his face. And he's sitting in a chariot, reading aloud, and Philip's running alongside it. I mean, the whole situation is bizarre, but Philip doesn't question it. He doesn't say why. He just does it. You know, that Ethiopian man, he's from a completely different context, completely different world. We understand that, we, we are to understand that uh, the land of Ethiopia is, is kind of um, the, the territory south of the Nile. It kind of represents the African continent. You know, you can track church history from this moment. And over a significant period of time, from this very moment, we see the gospel reaching the African continent. You see, because of Philip's obedience, God's message spreads to a whole other part of the world. God is enacting his will. You know, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says... Uh, you, you are to take my message and spread it uh, all throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It's a geographical picture, right? You've got Jerusalem and then uh, surrounding that is Judea and then surrounding that is Samaria and then the, the rest of the earth, right? But it's also a metaphor. 
It's like Jerusalem, your nearest and dearest, your best friends, your family members who don't know Jesus, all this kind of stuff. Take the message to all the people who surround your immediate circle. And then Judea, the people who live in your culture, live in your context, your acquaintances maybe. And then Samaria, um, we know from other stories in the Bible that um, uh, Samaritans were kind of completely culturally different, you know, from the good Samaritan. People don't mingle with Samaritans, right? So they're harder to love, they're harder to reach, they're out of your context. And then we've got the rest of the world. See, God is enacting his will for the, the spread of the good news of Jesus when he asked Philip to go alongside that chariot. And the, the amazing part of that is he knows, God knows that when he asked Philip to go alongside that chariot, that something significant is going to happen because he can bank on Philip. Why? Because of their relationship. Philip is obedient. For being one of the seven, we know that he's full of the Holy Spirit and he's full of wisdom. What does it mean to be full of wisdom? Well, um, it says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom. Fear of the Lord. Reverent fear. Not being scared of God, but being scared of being without God. Reverent fear, holding God in his highest place as king. That's the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 to 3 says, No Christ, who is all the fullness of deity, divine nature, all that fullness, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What does that mean? So this guy fears God, holds God in his highest place, and he knows Jesus. And he's accepted Jesus into his life and he pursues Jesus hotly. And from that, he, he knows a wisdom. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of wisdom. He's obedient. And there, there's a moment, and I don't want to labour over this point too much, but I just find it really interesting that our passage begins where it says, um, an angel of the Lord said, go out to the road, right? And then when he's out onto the road, it says, um, the Spirit said, go alongside the chariot. You know, when... Um, uh, when this story got to Luke, who we think wrote Acts, um, there was something, it's something important to me, I think, that when they were relating this story and Luke's writing it down and he's going, okay, so God told you to go out to the road and God told Philip to go alongside the chariot. That's really interesting. And they go, no, 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 no. They go, no, no, it was, the, it was an angel of the Lord who told me to go out to the road. It was the Spirit who told me to go alongside the chariot. Now, the term the angel of the Lord is a term that's used regularly in the Bible for, for moments where God intervenes, either in, in person or by messenger or angel. I don't want to labour on it too much. And whether it's just like an audible voice or a feeling or an, an emotion or a thought that's, that was in the head that wasn't there before, I don't know. But something was different to make them want to retell this story with the angel of the Lord and the Spirit. You see, Philip knew the voice of God. You know when you have a close relationship with somebody and you know the way that they communicate? It's like, you know, when you send somebody a text and, and uh, they're driving in a car, so they get the person in the passenger seat to send the text back, right? And you can always tell that it's not their voice, right? You can always tell when it was somebody else. You can always tell that. You see, Philip had that kind of relationship with God. He knew the way God communicated. And of course, he was effective. He was fruitful. That's what we can see from his relationship with God. I mean, look at Samaria. Things were blowing up because he was just spreading the good news. I mean, we've no indication in the passage that there is any amount of time spent between Philip and the Ethiopian man. 
I mean, it's a 60 mile road, chariots going between 10 and 15 miles per hour, but slow enough to fulfill, enough to run, uh, to fulfill to, to run alongside it. Um, so maybe seven miles per hour, and that gives him a few hours to cover the distance and have a chat about Jesus. But from the passage, it's like 20 minutes, right? It's like a 20 minute conversation. Are you reading Isaiah? Oh, okay, cool. Do you understand it? No, how will I understand it unless you explain it to me? Okay, cool. Well, um, there's this thing about Jesus, and, and Jesus is, in fact, the lamb uh, that's going to be slain, and he's the ultimate sacrifice, and he died for you, and it's the best thing ever, and he came back to life so that you might live forever. 20 minutes. And the guy's like, yeah, cool. Okay, I'm in. Get me baptized. I don't know if it was 20 minutes, but it feels like that, right? Philip is good. He is effective. I mean, he's the only one called an evangelist. This isn't a story about Philip who is this wonder man. This is a story about a man who has such a close relationship with God that he knows his voice, he knows the way he communicates, he's full of the Holy Spirit, he's full of wisdom, he obeys him diligently, and as a result, he's effective. When he's living out the purpose God has laid before him, he's good at it. And a bit I really, really like is um, he takes initiative. The Spirit says to him, go alongside the chariot. The Spirit doesn't say to him, go alongside the chariot and tell this guy about Jesus. The Spirit just says, go alongside the chariot. And when Philip goes alongside the chariot, he hears Isaiah and he goes, I know that passage. I don't know this guy. This guy looks completely whack. He's in some really fancy chariot, uh, he's, um, this guy's completely ethnically, uh, racially, culturally diverse from me, but I know that passage, there's an opportunity here, I'm going to take it. You see, I believe that God wants us to live that way. We don't know the story and the journey that the Ethiopian's been on, we know that he's, uh, he's coming back from Jerusalem where he's been worshipping, so that gives us an indication that he's Jewish. Uh, but um, in Ethiopia at the time, that wouldn't, been, uh, that wouldn't have been the religion that he would have grown up with. So he has converted to Judaism. He's questioning, he's asking, he's searching, but he still hasn't found what he's looking for. He's reading the passage and he doesn't understand. How will he understand unless somebody explains it to him? He's looking, he's yearning, but he's lost. And Philip's there. We don't know, I don't know, you don't know the journey that that person has been on to be in the same room as you. To be sitting next to you on the bus, to be working beside you at work, being in the same lecture theatre, or your tutorial group, or, or whatever, on the same till as you. You don't know the kind of work God's been putting to get that person in the room with you. All you know is that person is in the room with you. And we are called to, to take and make the most of every opportunity. God's not going to spoon feed us. He wants us to jump in. And maybe, just maybe, when you jump in and take that chance, that might be the moment that the person goes, I'm all in, get me baptised, I want to change my life. Or it might be uh, the crucial stepping stone to set them up for the next person. Or it might be the very first time they've heard of this good news thing and you've planted a seed that won't ever go away. We are to make the most of every opportunity. You see, Philip is ready to relate the good news. This is a story about a man with a, a relationship with God. And this is a story about a man who is ready to relate the good news. 
We are called to be ready to relate the good news. And what's the result? The Ethiopian hears the words, he hears it explained to him, and he's like, I'm all in, right? And they get baptised, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's saved. And how does he respond? He rejoices. That's our last R for the night. He rejoices. You see, this is good news. This isn't surprising that he would rejoice, because this is good news that this man has now found. You know, he's rejoicing so much that, you know, when Philip gets um, supernaturally transported to a place 30 miles away on the coast of the Nile, when that takes place, I mean, in fact, the Greek word that is used to describe Philip being transported is, uh, it translates as being snatched, like being ripped out of that place and placed in another You know, this Ethiopian man is so overcome with joy, so completely overwhelmed by the joy of the Lord, he doesn't even notice. There's nothing in that passage that tells us the Ethiopian turned around and tried to find Philip and said, Philip, um, uh, let me take your name, let me, let me, uh, you know, your number or whatever, your email address, let's hook up, I want to know more about Jesus. He doesn't say any of those things. He's so overcome by joy, he doesn't even notice. You see, when we accept the goodness of God, the good news into our lives, it fills us with a joy that is everlasting, not just a momentary high. It's the joy of the Lord that lasts forever, and as a response, we are to rejoice. So in Philippians, uh, Paul, Paul says, um, rejoice, rejoice, and I say again, rejoice in the Lord. And just as the band are coming up, um, something that I, uh, I noticed in this passage is, is two things goes on when the, the Ethiopian man uh, uh, turns his life to Jesus and is filled with the Holy Spirit and is baptised. Um, he's filled with the joy of the Lord, right? And then he rejoices. So he chooses to rejoice. So as the band are getting set up, um, we're about to go into another time of worship, another time of singing, uh, songs, um, the kind of Christian karaoke thing. We're going to engage in that again. But this time around, I really encourage you, Rejoice. We've got good news, right? We've received that joy of the Lord.